Welcome to episode 64 of Coffee Pods and Wads, sponsored by Rain Body Fuel, the ultimate fitness-focused drink to support performance, and also sponsored by Ollie Clothing, a brand dedicated to helping you in your pursuit of success. They make products that support active endeavors and create content that adds clarity and convenience to the self-development process. Burbox Coaching are also on board to offer you the opportunity to learn more. Burbox Coaching Development Course is an online course that will help develop a coach in a personal sense through self-discovery while learning academically about the psychological side of coaching. You can go to burboxcoachingdevelopment.com and use the code PODS to get 20% off the course. Nathan also runs a gymnastics course, which is a CrossFit preferred course. Um, listeners of this podcast can get 20% off those courses as well. If you email info at the gymnasticscourse.com and put PODS in the subject line there, they'll sort you out. Um, today is an exciting day. It marks the launch of coffeepodsandwads.com. Uh, go and have a look there's a sign up link for the weekly emails on there if and only if you're signed up for the emails you'll be eligible for a whopper of a prize so to celebrate the launch of the website and the weekly emails nathan bird and the gymnastics course are offering free entry to one of their weekend long seminars at any of the locations so if you win you'll choose your location make your way there and enjoy a free weekend of gymnastics coaching or if you're me like kneeling on the ground looking at your hands shouting why um from the best in the business go to the website Sign up for the emails, go to Instagram, comment on the post, share it in your stories. Each of those actions counts as one entry to the competition. www.coffeepodsandwads.com uh, Today's guest is Jedediah Snelson. Um, Jed is an adaptive athlete who is striving for integration and recognition in the sport of adaptive CrossFit. Um, his attitude is inspiring. He has a great story to tell. We talk about his love of coffee. Um, his journey in fitness both before and since his accident and what it means to compete at events like Wadapalooza and the support that the sport is getting from former guest Matt O'Keefe. Enjoy, listen, share and tag. First of all, like, thanks many for doing it. I really appreciate it. Um, it's funny, I think I, I first noticed it through Rain like sharing because they sponsored the show and then I saw them sharing some of your stories and stuff and I was kind of like, you know, you kind of skip through a lot of posts and a lot of stories and stuff yeah. and i was kind of like wait a minute i was like I'm in a wheelchair and he's like push press more than i do <laughs> uh, um i suppose like i'll start off easy so obviously you drink rain so you take a lot of caffeine then through that but do you drink coffee as well i do actually i um my wife and I, it's, it's kind of one of our connections is coffee. Um, when we first started dating, she worked, uh, for Starbucks and, uh, and she was like on this career path where she wanted to become like a public relations for, uh, Starbucks with like working with the the coffee farmers and stuff. And Mm -hmm. because she's really passionate about coffee and she was really passionate about travel. And, uh, so, so she was like, went through their whole like coffee master's course where it's like you kind of be you know it's like a lot of tasting and understanding different like types of coffee and stuff Mm -hmm. and during that period when we were dating um really the only way I hung out with her was was because we we had different hours uh was hanging out at the Starbucks that she she's an assistant manager so um hanging out there and just uh, and so I went through the coffee master's course with her because I was there and so you know, learning a lot more about it and understanding it and, and you know, different beans and, and bean types and, you know, the whole roasting process and everything mm-hmm. like it, it really made me like more passionate about it. And it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword though. I tell people like, it, it's like wine, right? Like, you know, ignorance is almost bliss. Like, <laughs> you know, coffee just tastes good. Right. And you just drink whatever, but then you like learn all this about it. And then you like, 
this like it opens up this kind of like palate or nodes and then you're like oh crap like well i don't like bad coffee anymore yeah yeah you, you um, essentially <laughs> you turn into a snob basically that's what happens. right <laughs> yeah. there's just different yeah. levels of snob there's like you know a low level snob, snob is like oh i'll just drink anything and then like a notch above that is like oh i'll only drink coffee you know that's not instant and then a notch above that is like you know eventually you keep going and you get to like well i'll only grow i'll only drink beans that have been grown by virgin nuns in southern sudan or you know <laughs> yeah, yeah we're we're not quite there but um we, you know we're we're pretty picky we do uh we do french press for our coffee every morning mm-hmm. and then uh, we also have an espresso machine where i'll do americano sometimes mm-hmm. especially when i'm more in a hurry but i try to i try to limit exactly how much i i take in because i'll generally have like one cup in the morning and then um because for my afternoon training session, I'll usually drink like a rain for that mm. to like, to like get going for that. And so with that amount of caffeine, yeah, you, you kind of want to like limit any outside sources. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess then I usually ask like if there's a, a special coffee memory that springs to mind for people, but I suppose if it's that intrinsic in your marriage, I guess like there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I always think about those early days, like I said, just, literally just chilling at a Starbucks and, um, and and not that Starbucks has the best coffee anymore. We've kind of like, it's kind of gone downhill and stuff. But one of the things that we still do around coffee, I guess, is my wife loves travel and, and between the both of us, we do quite a bit of traveling. And so we've started a collection of the the mugs that they have from the different locations of where we've been. And so that's kind of a cool thing is that, you know, you get, you have memories of those places you travel. And so every morning, I mean, we probably got like 35 or 40 mugs from different places. Um, Not, you know, most of them from different locations in the States, but we've also got other countries and whatnot uh, where we've been and and mostly her, she travels more than I do outside of the States. But um, yeah. So, so that's always cool. Like that kind of have a memory from a different mug every, every morning with a, with your cup of coffee so yeah you have to build an extension onto your kitchen for storing right <laughs> yeah uh, we we do we do have some that we put away because like the cover just gets a little full so yeah you 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 have a league of like you know oh, that was a nice trip but it wasn't as nice as this one so we'll keep this mug and put that one out in the garage exactly um, exactly you've done a good few podcasts uh on interviews and stuff like and you know there's a lot of pieces about you and i think like you're quite active on social media as well like do you I always wonder, like, like I kind of don't mind talking to other people about them, but then if I'm asked about me, I get a bit like, oh shit, like, what am I going to say about myself and what do people want to know? Like, do you, are you comfortable talking about yourself or like, you know, do you find it unusual speaking about like just you? Um, I, I don't mind it. Um, I, I definitely prefer the, you know, with my situation, I've done like some, some motivational speaking or whatever. Mm. And that I think that's tougher for me because I don't know what to, when someone just tells me to come in and speak and they want me to talk about myself, like I don't know really where they want me to go. Um, So I do prefer, like, I don't mind talking about myself, but I prefer more of the interview based like situation because I want to talk about what people want to know, not necessarily what I feel like they may want to know because, um, can you remember your first could, your first motivational speaking gig? Can you remember that? Yeah, it was actually um, so I've I've owned a, a farmers insurance agency for years. Yeah. It's always kind of been my 
my, my thing outside of sports and, uh, and they were actually, they had me come speak at a conference. Um, and so that was my first motivational thing. And so it was definitely different because I related it more to mm-hmm. like how, what I did there versus, you know, other things, but, but, uh, so it was kind of easier to kind of know like what direction to go because I knew what, what direction the company wanted me to go with that. Yeah, so yeah. you just drop um, in some farming puns every so often to keep them on site. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so, um, yeah, that was my first one, but, uh, yeah, I've done a few since then. And like I said, I always, they give me the option. I'm always like, well, let's do more of an interview style like mm. situation because then I can, I, I also have a problem that I tend to like to, I like to talk. So, um, but I have like this ADD when I speak, like where I'll have this, this thought that pops into my head and so I'll mm. run ramble off something Tangents, that completely. Yeah. yeah. And then before I know it, I'm, I'm clear away from my point of <laughs> what I was even, where I was even trying to go. So <laughs> yeah, I'll just wave my arm frantically if you start doing that now. <laughs> that, that would be great. <laughs> um, am I wrong in thinking like this like might be my own ignorance speaking but like as an adaptive athlete or like are you faced with a lot of questions about like you know like how do you train and like i do you get a lot of those kind of questions like repetitive style questions i do um and and i don't mind it because when when i got into this like i felt like that was my responsibility and my purpose mm. because i got involved in in uh doing adaptive crossfit specifically at uh such an early time for the sport. Mm. And so I, one of my passions was understanding what it did for me with my life in a wheelchair. And so really wanting to share that with others and really expand it. One, I want to see the sport grow just so that there's a, a large, you know, just so that it hit, gets to a larger level, but also just, you know, just like CrossFit and a lot of people that are involved with CrossFit, I want to see it just grow as a methodology in mm adaptive uh fitness so that you know understanding what it will do for those individuals as well and helping them so do you get like do you get any negativity on social media or anything uh not not a lot but i do occasionally i get um and honestly mostly most of the time it's from um it's either from like physical therapists or other wheelies where they're like you know you're gonna you're going to mess your shoulders up doing that, or you're going to do, you know, mess your back up and stuff because you're, you you know, that's just not safe or, Mm -hmm. or you're overusing them or whatever. But I don't think they understand that it's, it's not a matter of overuse. It's a matter of keeping them healthy. Like, you know, it's just like anybody else, people that live a sedentary lifestyle. And and when you live a a sedentary lifestyle in a wheelchair, you, you use your shoulders a lot but you don't do anything to condition them or mobilize them or anything to that degree. So mm. yeah, you can do a lot of damage if you're just like just living life, you know, aggressively, but not really taking care of yourself, but by doing CrossFit um, or, you know, doing fitness, like you're there, there's a, a sense of taking care of yourself while doing it. So, yeah. Um, with sport then like you, you spent, five years in the minor leagues and you were a strength and conditioning coach for like, you know, a raft of different sports and you did motocross and like, is Mm -hmm. that, is that love of sport something that was like instilled in you as a child? Like, can you think back to where you became involved with sport or was it like, did you find it on your own or did it come from your parents? Um, 
So I don't think, you know, my, my parents were always very supportive of me being involved in, in outside uh, curricular activities and sports mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, I, I actually got started with the, the, the sport that I, I first got started in early on was wrestling. Um, I started wrestling when I was four years old and, and kind of took off with that and got to a pretty good level where I, I rest for some, some private organizations and whatnot. But, um, but I got burnout. I was pushed too hard in that sport and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, so they, they supported me, but most of it was honestly early on. Most of it came from, uh, I grew up on a farm and we were constantly working and, and, my dad in his childhood, he wasn't allowed to participate in sports because, you know, work on the farm was more important. So yeah. he always wanted us to be able to participate in that stuff. But it was kind of this attitude. If you're not doing an organized activity out that outside, then you're working on the farm. Okay. So, so you got involved in everything. Exactly. I'm starting ballet on Tuesdays and I'm doing fencing on Wednesdays. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I was like involved in every organization in school yeah. that was, that was there just to try and like, cause literally if I wasn't, if I had a free night, I was working and not yeah. a free weekend, I was working. So, um, which was good. Cause you know, it taught me that work ethic, but I think most of it was, was through just, you know, my own, I've just always been competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when I was, even when I was more heavily involved in insurance, like I was even competitive there and wanting to, you know, have one of the highest ranking, you know, insurance agencies in the company. And so it's just more so like, if I'm going to do something like I, I want to excel at it. And so it's more of a competitive drive. Yeah. Um, 2014, then everything changed. So what happened? So I was, uh, I was still, I was racing at this time more uh, recreationally. Um, I had, I had taken some time off of racing and then got back in. Yes. Yeah. um, Yeah. Sorry. Dirt bikes, motocross on uh, closed courses. Um, And uh, yeah. So, so I had gotten back into it more recreationally well, at least it started recreationally. And then I started, you know, racing again at a pretty high uh, level in the, in the veteran classes. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, it was a winter race uh, here in Idaho and uh, they have a sand course where they can drag the sand and break it up. So we, you know, it takes a lot of moisture and we Mm. can still race during the winter. But the problem was it was during a a time period where what we call an inversion, um, where we live in a Valley and and a weather front comes in and just kind of sits. And so it's been below freezing for weeks. And so while the course was drugged, the every piece of dirt off the actual racetrack was like frozen two, three inches deep. And so it was like hitting concrete. Okay. And that's what happened. I got, I got loose coming down a, a downhill and got uh, thrown off course and just couldn't save it. And then I got pitched over the handlebars. And um, so basically, you know, landed face first uh, off, off course on this dirt. that was, like I said, basically like hitting concrete. And um, it was one of those situations where I scorpioned with meaning my, my heels basically hit me in the back of the head. And, uh, and then I ragdolled for another 15, 20 feet before I came to a, uh, to a stop. So I, I did a good number on myself and <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, um, dislocated my spine at the T12 vertebrae and shattered it. And then, um, you know, causing, uh, stretching my spinal cord there and causing severe damage to it. And then, uh, amongst several other injuries. Crazy. Like what's your like uh, okay uh, 
I've kind of always wondered, I suppose, like people who go through a trauma like that or even like afterwards can be like, you know, equally traumatic, maybe not like, you know, the impact or whatever, but like the mental side of it, of like coming to terms with what's happened and all that can be very traumatic as well. And then like the recovery process, like, do you, like, can you remember all of that or have you kind of maybe sort of blocked out some of it in some kind of unconscious, like self-preservation attempt or like, is it all really vivid? No, it's, it's, um, it, it's kind of unique in my story in that I, I clearly remember all of it because it was more of a conscious decision that I, for me, it, it was, a I feel like it was part of a larger plan, um, that had started like literally six months before that. And so there was kind of like two thought processes going through this for me. One was, you know, I had, without getting too deep into this, I, I had kind of prayed for a situation before where I had gone through this study and I had started praying for this opportunity to be able to show faith on an audacious level. Um, basically meaning that, you know, people think of faith or they think of what they are capable of doing from, uh, from an earthly sense in that, you know, what, what they're capable of, of, you know, from our, our limited thought process as human beings. And I wanted to be able to show like this faith of being able to do something outside of what we see or, or what we would think we would try and um, aim towards, you know, faith wise. And, and so I, and so while I, I don't think, I don't think God purposely paralyzed me or had me have this accident. I think it was an opportunity to be like, most people would think life was over and, and, you know, that, that, you know, so much has been taken away from me by losing my legs. And I saw it as an opportunity to have faith, like, no, you know, I, he, God's going to do great things with me in this, in this situation. And so kind of like and, a, like a Job scenario. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny cause I like what, while most people would be like, you know, Hey, you know, just have faith that, that your legs will come back and you'll be able to walk again. And, 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 you know, Hey, you can get through this, you know, just keep working for that. Like I understood all that. But my intention was more like, no, like, like if God wants that for me, great. But my intention is like, God's going to do great things with me in a wheelchair. And he's going to show that I can do incredible things, even though I'm in a wheelchair. And, and, and so that was kind of the course. Um, The other level of thought was more of, um, I've, I've always been uh, a critical thinker um, as far as like really taking the time to try and understand who I am as a person and really put a lot of thought into that. Mm-hmm. And I think that came from, I think that came from my time in pro sports prior to my accident where, mm-hmm. you know, so much of sports and, and understanding this as an athlete and as a strength and conditioning coach for other high end level athletes, like so much of the game is mental, right? Yeah. And so, and so much of that mental game is trying to understand yourself and who you are and how you operate and how you work. And so I'd put a lot of thought into that even before I got hurt, which was, you know, I think another God gift, because when I got hurt, I immediately understood, like, if I'm going to be able to cope with this, like, yes, I've given up a lot or yes, I've been, had a lot taken away from me, but it was understanding that if I can find something immediately to put my energy into, to channel that competitive drive, then I'll be okay. Like Mm. that was the one thing that, that I knew early on was like, I've got to find something to keep myself going. If I just sit and focus on what I can't do anymore, then, then that's when I'm going to head down that dark road. So, yeah. So that was a, a, 
do you find it hard like if you do motivational speaking or if you say if you speak to other people in wheelchairs or people who've had accidents like do you find it hard if they're not religious to kind of get that message across or do you think that that common um I suppose common drive to need to keep yourself going if they don't have faith you've at least you've got that common ground to kind of help explain it to them um i I think if they don't know me very well, then sometimes it can be hard. But I, for the, a lot of people that reach out to me or that I'm connecting to, they've either they've either done a little research on me, you know, as far as kind of looking up who I am, because it's not like I'm widely known or anything, hmm. or or they've taken the time afterwards to kind of go look at, you know, well, well, let's see the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. And so they'll kind of take the time to to look at. And so I, I think it goes back to one of those actions speak louder than words. And I've definitely have the documented actions that back up what I'm saying, you know, as far as in my attitude and everything. And, and that's not to say that I didn't have a tough time, right? Like uh, I think a lot of people, I think that's the, the probably the most critical thing I get is that it comes off like to some people fake, right? Cause it's like, well, yeah, you just, you just like, accepted this and, and life was just fine. It was like, no, like I accepted what happened to me, but there was still a definite struggle and a learning curve mm-hmm. in trying to figure out this new way of life and this new, you know, situation. And, and just like anything else, it has its ups and downs. And, yeah. you know, you, you've got, I've had weeks where it's just like, it's, it's more depressing and it's harder because you're just struggling with simple things. And I still have that to this day, you know, even with, even with, you know, trying to train and stuff. I, I have bad weeks and, and some of it I blame on the chair at times that it's, it's given me an extra, you know, hurdle that others don't have to deal with. And so, I, you know, you still have tough times within that, but it's, it's always a, the benefit is being able to go back to a drive and a purpose. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah but this, you know, and, and it's not looking at one week for a week, but looking at the overall journey and seeing where you've come. And that's, that's what keeps you, you know, heading in a good direction yeah it's something i've always like you know even as a kid you play those like would you rather games and it's like you know would you rather be born visually impaired or like have your sight deteriorate or would you rather like you know be born you know able-bodied and end up like have something happen to you or would you rather be born and like need a wheelchair from the get-go and it's that kind of thing of like is it almost worse that you like there's so this especially I think with you because you're so physically active now it's kind of like I wonder if you hadn't had your pre-exposure to sport and physical activity and that competitive drive that you've got like you mightn't be as active as you are now because you you know you wouldn't have had that experience you wouldn't have built up those like um I suppose that kind of resilience that you have like and obviously faith comes into it like your faith is clearly very important to you as well but I think like that sport, if you like, if you didn't have your faith, I don't think you'd be where you are. But I also think if you didn't have sport, I don't think you'd be where you are either. Like, Oh, 100%. And I think that that's the other thing that really helps me be okay with it and, and kind of be able to be present in the moment is the fact that I was so active and I was so passionate about this stuff that I was definitely blessed to be one of those individuals that like I left nothing on the table, right? Like mm. whatever I did, like, like I said, I gave it a 100%. And because of that, I don't have any regrets. Like when I, you know, I like motocross is taken away from me and I still have this deep passion and love for the sport and whatever. And it'd be easy to be like, 
you know, there's kind of two sides of that. Everything that I did within it, like I gave it my all. So I don't look back with any regrets. Right. And I don't look back with, with any like, man, if I didn't know this was going to happen, I would have done this or that, or, you know, I, I gave it everything I had. So, so that, that helps, you know, be okay with, with what you've lost. But it also, you know, in realizing that makes me at this time, like you only have so much time, you know what I mean? And, and even like, as, as late as I was in, in, in that career of losing that stuff, you only have so much time. So, so it, it makes me want to live every day. Right. And so as soon as I got involved in CrossFit and, and found that I had a deep passion for it, it was like, put everything you have into it now because you don't know how long you have. And especially for me, because, you know, I'm already 40 years old. So I already know my time competing at this level is limited and what I do. So <laughs> was there a point where you remember thinking, okay, CrossFit, I can do that. Um, no, actually, uh, CrossFit came about as uh, a fitness methodology. Um, so when I first got hurt, like I told you, I needed to find something. And so my initial intentions was to get into the thing I kind of associated with closer to, to motocross, but not being the same was getting into mountain bike racing. Okay. And so I wanted to really get into downhill mountain bike racing. But I knew I needed to get myself back to a good physical state to be able to do that. And, um, so I was, I was looking for different fitness methodologies, especially coming from a, from a training background, um, you know, understanding that. And so, you know, trying to build some stuff myself and look for things. Um, that's kind of where I, I, I came across CrossFit. And then there was also this side of, well, I can't get into mountain biking until I can buy a purchase a bike and those bikes aren't cheap. Um, so I was like, in the meantime, you know, I'm going to get myself in shape. And then I discovered I could compete in CrossFit. Um, when I, I saw, you know, that there was an adaptive open, Mm. I, I gave that a try and that's when it was like, I love this. Like I'm hooked. Like just going through that first open and competing that way. I was like, this is it. And, and so it just kind of took off from there and it kind of changed my focus. And how does the adaptive open work? So is it like, are you up against like other athletes with similar abilities or like how, how is it separated out or is it separated out? So up to this, up until this last year, it's been, um, there, there's classifications, but it's been very broad, right? Most of that has to do with, with the number of participants where the sports, you know, for us is very small and and growing. Um, and so it was all seated athletes, basically anybody who competed from a wheelchair, we were all, we were all in the same category this last year for 2019 there was finally a division of that where we had enough participants that there's two divisions within the seated athletes there's uh what they call seated one or seated two and seated one would be if your face injury or, or your um, disability leaves you where you have no use of your legs basically you you're from the waist up or and and that's all that you have functioning. Um, and then the other division was, you know, people that they weren't necessarily uh, paraplegic or spinal cord injury, but maybe, you know, like they have CP. And so mm. they struggle with the use of their legs, but they have some use. Yeah. Their legs or, you know, they're, an e, or they're, they're an incomplete where they were a paraplegic, but they've gained use of their legs back. And so they can, they can partially use those legs, you know, and, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, they can transition in and out of the chair for certain workouts where we do that faster, or, you know, okay. they can, 
use a little bit of their legs muscles to help drive a bar or, you know, what, whatever, various things that way where there's just a, 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 a designation there. Right. And so yeah, yeah. last year was the first open where we had those two classes. Yeah. Let's talk adaptations then. So like how much of this has been established and how much is still like fluid and changing or improving? Because I even on your Instagram, I've seen you. So like you've doing deadlifts and skipping and like loads of upper body like stuff. And then like, I've also seen you put up things of like, Oh, I just got this new thing that I've tried, or I've just tried this new movement. And so I'm assuming it's still constantly morphing and changing. Yeah. So I think, I think there's two sides to that. I think when adaptive CrossFit first started and, and all of us that were involved in it early on, even adapting a workout, uh, it was more about trying to meet the movement of the able body that was as close as possible, you know, so, mm. so that the integrity was more like, like, well, what's the most similar movement to, to, um, to, to what the able body movement is. And, and let's take, so for example, let's take Murph, right? It's a very commonly known workout. Mm. So early on the movements for Murph, if we were going to adapt it for a seated athlete and try and keep it as close to an able body, you know, the regular Murph as possible, it was, we would do a, a, a mile wheel, um, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and we did 300 dips. Um, because the dip was like our squat, right? Like yeah, yeah. that's how we use our, we use our, our arms in the same way that way. But when you look at that from a load standpoint <laughs> and trying to meet the stimulus, like that, that's a lot of chest and a lot of shoulder, like yeah. to go from push ups to, to dips, you know, you're doing 500 essential, almost the same movement. Mm. Um, and, and then especially when we wheel too, right. That's a forward shoulder yeah. push to push that mile at the beginning and the end. So what we've learned and what's kind of developed is we don't necessarily try to adapt for the movement as much as we do try to meet the stimulus of the workout. Yeah. Like, is this, uh, you know, is this a fast paced workout where, where you're going to be moving like, you know, quickly? Is it, is it, um, you know, trying to meet the time domain stimulus equivalent, trying to meet the, the same kind of conditioning uh, piece, um, you know, really trying to match it that way. And so like our, our Murph, for example, has morphed to, we still do a mile wheel. We do a hundred pushups and, or a hundred pull-ups and 200 pushups, but now we do 300. Uh, uh, you either do like ab swings, which is like a Russian twist with a ball yeah. or we'll do uh, med ball sit-ups. Okay. Um, and because the, the time domain and the conditioning of that piece is more equal to, you know, you're not constantly, just trashing your shoulders or, or, mm. or meeting it that way you, you're you know in the squat you meet to another piece but it but but with the squat it, it kind of deadens your legs for when you go back to that mile right yeah, yeah. well in what we do pushing like there's a lot of core um in, in doing a fast-paced push on on a, in a wheelchair and so it kind of mimics that where you kind of okay yeah you take away from your shoulders but you deaden your core so when you go out for that second mile especially with a vest on it's a lot harder because your core is now taxed, but you didn't just completely destroy your shoulders and you couldn't really meet the same. So you find like my Murph time now is pretty equivalent and in stimulus is the, pretty much the same as an able body. I'll go up with an RX, you know, able body athlete and we'll finish about the same time. Mm. So, yeah, like, I mean, like it's hard not to think that like your upper body must be just in ribbons, like from so much pulling and pressing <laughs> and pushing, but like, you know, I suppose it, no more than an able-bodied athlete, you've built up a capacity to 
you know, because I was thinking about it last night, I was like, God, it must be hard, like, you know, you're using your arms and your shoulders to wheel to wherever, like, say, to the gym, and then you're doing your workout, and then you're, you know, like, there'd be a lot of upper body in it, obviously, like, even if it's skipping with the ropeless handles or, you know, like, doing wall balls, like, throwing the ball or whatever, and then you have to wheel home. But then I was like, but sure, an able-bodied athlete has to walk home. So, like, you know, it's, right. like you say, it's it's equatable to, you know, there's a similar, it's just, I suppose you just don't think of it. Like, I just, I watch you on Instagram and be like, God, his shoulders must be wrecked. And then I just, <laughs> like, well, I mean, I've done back squats and walked home, like, walked out to my car and I haven't, like, had, you know, collapsed or whatever. So, it's just, I think it's, like you say, those people that are messaging you saying like, oh, it's so bad, like you must be really hurt or whatever. I think it is the natural inclination is to think like either your shoulders are outrageously ripped or they're in ribbons, one or the other, because it's just, they take yeah. such a pounding. But like, it is impressive. Like I've watched you do like, you know, variations of Olympic lifting. I've watched you do like, you know, uh, I guess like seal row, you'd call it. And I've watched you do like, you know, deadlift from, you know where you're on the bench and it's beneath you or whatever like how how much do you rely on say other people then when you're training because i know i've seen in pictures of like waterpalooza and stuff and even in your own gym i've seen like you know some movements obviously you need extra help with balancing the chair because you're preoccupied with other things or you know with other your your hands are busy essentially yeah so I think there's a fine balance there, especially for a seated athlete in that there's, there's definitely a safety measure for some pieces, like, especially like doing cleans and, and snatches when you start to get heavier, like yeah, you don't just having that. Backwards. Yeah. Because I have flipped my chair with a 140 pound bar, like trying to clean into it. And I've also flipped my chair with a 65 pound bar, like trying to go fast, mm. you know, doing like, doing like a, a death by snatches or whatever where you're just trying to like mm. keep going and then but i create momentum and then i i flip clear past my my uh, wheelie bars or my anti-tippers yeah. <laughs> and, and just throw myself back so there's a safety measure to it and, and then especially for those that that don't have a sports chair where they don't have the permanent anti-tippers mm. like doing movements in a regular certain movements in a regular chair you have to have a spotter or go up against a rig or something or, or you will flip mm. um and so there's a safety side to it but then there's also as a competitor, there's a side to it where, um, being able to do things at a certain speed or whatnot. Um, and, and mostly for training, what I mean by that is being able to keep a certain intensity through a workout. Right. So if I'm doing, if I'm doing cleans and I'm progressing and weight or whatnot, like the time it takes me to get the bar out and load it and everything and transition and then reach, readjust that weight, like, I lose that, that, that rest period window of uh, keeping a certain intensity, but by having a wheelman, what we call it, um, or, or, or a helper, um, and having them load and unload the bar, it it helps me keep in a certain window for, for intensity wise, which is important with your training. And especially when you're talking about training on a competition level. And then there's other workouts where, you know, being able to where I'm transitioning in and out of chair, like I said, if I have a spotter or a wheelman and and they're kind of comfortable with the routine, then I can do that a lot faster and save time that way versus doing it on my own. But I also think it's important to do both, right? Because mm. the the basis for CrossFit and the methodology is building functional fitness. And so if I do everything with help and with a spotter, you kind of lose some of that functionality in it by always having somebody there helping you. And mm. so 
the way I do mine now is I have a one day a week where I do all the training by myself and uh wheel wad that does my personal programming they'll plan for that and they'll actually do things where it's like eh, i could do this a lot better if i had a wheel man today but he's like but i want you to struggle with it and just mm-hmm. figure it out on your own and and so i do that one day a week um, and then i have two mornings where i train all by myself and then i have two afternoons where i have a wheel man and then one day where i have a full wheel man mm-hmm. um, that helps me with all my training and so i can keep that intensity that i need you know, not being able to do that by myself or the, some of the safety protocol. Wheelman is a pretty cool name for it. It's like a, like a getaway driver. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, like we, we've mentioned some of your like pre injury, like, I guess like sporting achievements and sporting involvements and stuff, but like you've been a pretty busy boy since the injury as well. Like, so like 2016, second fittest wheelie in the world you matched that in 2017 and again in 2018 you came fourth in Wadapalooza in 2017 you podiumed finishing third in 2018 you won battle of uh battleground fallout competition the same year like that's pretty fucking impressive for someone who's just like discovered a sport and getting involved in it and like as well as overcoming everything like you know you've also you work with rain you work with junk like i mean like obviously your life took a tailspin but like you pulled it back in pretty impressive fashion like i think it's admirable what you've achieved like is there days where you wake up and think like jesus how did i get here where i'm you know sponsored by these brands and going to these competitions like like what does it mean to you when say the open like you mentioned earlier they added that segregation or that differentiation between the two uh wheelchair users in the open and then when you have like Wadapalooza putting on a bit of a show like is that like there must be a sense of kind of I don't know like a huge sense of pride and kind of vindication in your own sport to see those kind of recognitions given and the brands coming on as well yeah I think it's um it it goes back to my main mission it's not necessarily pride is his passion always have this desire to excel at something right whatever mm-hmm. i'm passionate about and so this is this has helped me like it's given me that channel to like to really try and excel at something and so like i said before when i go into something i'm going to go in 100 percent, and mm-hmm. especially when i'm deeply passionate about it and so you know my um and i don't know if my wife always 100 percent agrees with that because <laughs> i'm i'm definitely one of those personalities where i'm tunnel vision right or if i get on it's kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Like, so for the sport or whatever I'm doing, it's a blessing in that I'm not affected by outside distractions because I will literally like 100% tunnel vision focus on whatever I'm doing and block out everything else. Um, on, on the other side, it, my challenge in life is having balance, like being able to, you know, take like, Hey, you got to stop, spend some time with your family. Like and it's not that I don't love my family and spending time with them. It's just, it's that personality thing where I'm like, I'm a hundred percent in. Mm. And, and so, <clears throat> so yeah, so that side it's, it's tough. And, and, and you know, you, cause life is all choices, right? So that there's give and take in everything you do. And so I, there is some other things that I have given up because I focus on this so much, but like I said, it came down to when I got involved in this, I felt like this was my calling to be an example for others and really trying to help this sport grow because I saw such, such benefits in it. And, 
And so the, the, the pride and whatever, and like the, the Wadapalooza and getting involved with others is, is people, you know, being able to show people that, you know, this sport is legit and what we do is legit. And, and that, you know, we just want to see it grow because like my, my deep belief in, in being involved in athletics is, you know, I think that CrossFit has grown to the level that it has because of the CrossFit games. Yeah. Like you can, you can argue that and what, what the, the true purpose is behind CrossFit and everything. And I get that, but I think, you know, kids don't run around with a football and, and want to play, you know, football at a young age without watching the NFL mm. and having a desire to be like those guys and do it on their level, you know, whether they ever go there or not, like there's always a level to, I admire these guys and I want to play the sport like they do. Mm. And I think that's what CrossFit has done as far as being able, especially for the, the younger generations as being able to grow that sport is watching these athletes do incredible things and then wanting to see, you know, wanting to emulate them or at least emulate them on some level that, mm. you know, I'd like to see how far I can go with this or, or what I can do. Um, and, and so CrossFit, you know, adaptive CrossFit is the same way, like on the bigger stages we get and real showcasing what's possible. You know, like I said, a lot of these wheelies, it's, they've been told all their life, you, you can't do that. Like you can't mm. lift 150 pounds over your head in a wheelchair. Like that's just not done and, and it's not going to be beneficial to you and showing them, no, it is like, um, not only can I do it, like look at some of the other activities that I try and post, like, you know, like getting in and out of a boat with no special adaptive setup, like in a lake, in the middle of a mm -hmm. lake, like I can do that because of CrossFit. Like, you know, we went up to Alaska on a cruise and I got myself on a seaplane, um, to, to, uh, do a bush pilot tour, like there's no adaptive that's not on, you know, when you go through the choices, like that's not one of the choices yeah. for that's accessible. Um, but because of my fitness level, I found a pilot that's like, yeah, if you can get yourself on the plane, then I'll take you up and I can do it. So yeah. all that came from CrossFit. Right. And so the more of that stuff that we can show people, the more, you know, from a health side, people will understand that this is going to give me a whole new independence to life. But, I really think that what brings the attention to that is the sport. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, the pride comes from, you know, Wadapalooza recognizes us as legitimate athletes and, and, you know, growing from that side and, and, you know, fallout and, and all these other competitions, you know, through battleground, all these other competitions and, and that, and then the, the sponsors as well. Like, you know, when, when junk finally, you know, um, comes on board and, and decides to let me be part of their family and rain, you know, lets me come in and Floyd's Leadville, like it's that legitimizing, like what we do, um, is a true sport and that, you know, there's, there's a different level as an athlete. And so they want to recognize that and, and reward me for, for, you know, the excellence and, and really pushing the envelope. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I think like, I think it's fantastic. Cause I think like adaptive or like, anyone who just trains like and shares honest approaches to their day-to-day -day life and training in an effort like to inspire other people. I think like if you're just trying to get other people to do something that's good for them, I think it deserves credit and respect. And I think it's, it's like there's an added element to it when you go through something traumatic and then come out the other side of it and still have that thing of like, oh, I want to do something that will you know, like, I, I just think if it was me, if I had been to Miami and, like, been on a podium, 
I'd be like, hell yeah, I was at Miami and I was on a podium and I'm like pretty damn proud of it or whatever. Whereas you're like, oh, it's just nice to see the sport recognized and it's nice to see it, you know, like get further legitimization, which I think like, you know, it's, it's your attitude is admirable. Um, do you, do you feel pressure then having like other adaptive athletes maybe look to you for inspiration? Like, do you ever feel like, you know, like a bit overawed by it? Yeah. Um, I think there's pressure because I think that the one thing that I've learned is hard is that so much is made of your injury or what type of injury you have. And I think that there's a lot of, um, especially to the level I've gotten, you know, and doing this for six years now, it it's tough because people will look at that, you know, in the same way, in the same way a guy that, you know, decides to try CrossFit for the first time and he goes into his gym and there's a high level athlete in that gym or, you know, high level CrossFitter from an RX point and they look at what they're doing and they're like, I can't do that. There's no way. Like, so I'm, I've, this I've literally no me. idea of what you're talking about. I can't even imagine what that feeling is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so people will see that and they'll, and they'll be like, I think where the pressure comes is they'll be like, yeah, but I can't do that. You know? And, and a lot of times the excuse is, you know, I can't do that because I can't do it. I can't do that because my injury like mm. is different than yours or whatever. And the hard thing is like reminding people, like I couldn't do this before either. Mm. Like it took me six years, you know, in the same way somebody decided to become a games athlete, they didn't do it overnight. And then they were there in a year. You know mm. what I mean? Like it, it, for most of them, it's a three year process, especially now to get there. Yeah. And, and then you still may not like get there. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's the same thing. Like a lot of the skills and like I said, coming up with new movements and stuff and, and learning new things, like it's a progression. Um, and so reminding people, you know, like you're, you're, and so that's where I've even specifically worked with some, some other athletes and trying to help kind of coach them on the side and, and build them where they're, they're a different injury than me. And, and, and arguably they have less function than me because mm-hmm. of their injury or, or, or their disability and, and pushing them that it's like, I've, you know, I've got them doing things, not only that they never thought that they could do but they never thought that they could do at their level mm. of injury. And, and so when, when people, you know, um, throw that at me, I can be like, no, for one, I couldn't do that before either. I had to build to it. And also that's no excuse because, you know, so-and-so is a higher injury and now I've got them doing this. So, mm. so, you know, if you really want to do it, you can, it's just going to take some time and work. And, and to some people, they want to, they want to scoff that off and, you know, that's, that's hard, but some people are like, okay, well, well, where do I start? And that's, you know, and, and I'll give them advice, but, um, I suppose it's no different really than like the, the standard comments you'd see on like, you know, like you mentioned games athletes there or like incredibly fit people or incredibly strong people. You'll get like, you know, maybe 60% of the comments being like, Jesus, like you're incredible. Like, how do you do that? Or, you know, like, or have you got a program I can sign up to blah, blah, blah. Then you get like the other 40% are like, oh, definitely steroids and like, oh, it must be cheating or it must be Photoshop or must be, you know, like, cause it's like, yes. oh, I can't do it. so they obviously can't do it either. They're cheating somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of steroids, it's, oh, well, you're a, you're a, your injury must be, you know, minimalized compared to mine. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's why you've built to that point. Like, anyway, um, what so. do you think, uh, competitions and maybe even gyms in general can do to be more inclusive then? 
Um, well, I think the biggest thing is, is education, um, taking the adaptive training course, especially now that they're through the adaptive training Academy. Um, especially now that that course has gone online and whatnot, because you mm -hmm. never know who's going to see this and then roll into your gym yeah. or stroll into your gym and be like, Hey, I saw this CrossFit. Do you guys have the, the capability to help me with this? Because you know, the biggest detriment is somebody going, I have no idea how to help you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's so many resources now. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing first is just education and just having a, a, a base understanding, you know, in the same way you would, you, you can't start a CrossFit box without going through level one training mm. and having a fundamental, you know, understanding of what CrossFit is so that when somebody comes in, you know how to start from the basics, right. Yeah. Um, with them as a beginner, as a beginner athlete. And so it's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, even more so in our, in our, well, not even more so, it, you know, in the same way it, it comes down to safety standards. Like if you don't know what you're doing or you don't start, start from the basics level with a new, you know, able body or, or regular, you know, CrossFit athlete coming in and you'll hurt them. Um, yeah. and the same thing with a, with a gym. But you also have to be able to be open to, you know, whatever their certain comfort level is. You know, mm -hmm. some people are more wanting to push it more than others. Um, and that's no different with, you know, able-bodied athletes. Mm -hmm. Like some guys come in and they want to, they want to like hit it hard from the beginning and, and see what they can do. And then there's others that they kind of want to take baby steps and build into stuff. And, yeah. um, and being able to handle that comes down to that, that education. And, and so I think that's the biggest thing there is just being so that you are comfortable when, when somebody may come in that way. Mm. And then like for 2021 and beyond, I suppose, competitively, like what are your, I suppose, what are your personal aspirations? And then like, you know, on a purely personal level, what do you hope to achieve? And then what would you like to see adaptive CrossFit achieve? in a competitive setting? Like what, what would you like to see happen? So my number one goal is to see CrossFit accept adaptive, uh, athletes from the competition level. Um, if you really look at it, CrossFit, and this is not a hate thing. This is just mm. a fact thing. CrossFit has never accepted us from a competitor standpoint. They've accepted the methodology and the understanding of what we do but we've never been a part of an actual CrossFit competition. Okay. Um, all the competitions have been done outside, you know, from the adaptive standpoint, the only really competition so far to accept us is Loudon Life. Um, in being part of Wadapalooza for multiple years. And then this year before, you know, everything fell apart, our games was going to be at the Granite games. Mm. Um, it was going to be the, the adaptive games or the wheel wad games, um, was going to be held in conjunction with the Granite games to give us a larger stage to showcase what we do. Well, you see, that's, um, that's, that's Matt O'Keefe. And like, he was on here with yeah. us. Like, so, you know, he's obviously a good guy if he was on here. So it's basically thanks to this show that that was happening essentially is what Perfect. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Cause you're welcome. That's that's probably <laughs> the biggest the biggest hurdle that we have is, and it goes back to a simple phrase: um, adapting is not scaling. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to associate that as the same, right? As as you know, when we change a workout, we're scaling it because we can't do the the RX or whatever. Um, what we try to tell you is there's a completely different RX for a physical impairment versus mm -hmm. just not having 
the ability or the strength built yet to do that at an RX level. My, my argument would be like, if you take, if you took a high level or even a games athlete, um, you know, like I've done stuff with Noah in the past. Um, and, and if you take, you know, whatever Noah would do in an RX workout, and if you gave him the scaled version, like obviously it would be easier on him, right? Mm. Like he, he would be able to probably get more reps or a faster time or whatever if he was doing the scaled version of that workout because it's just, it's the less load for him. If you take and you now took Noah and you gave him the adaptive workout, like the seated RX workout, and he had to do it from a CD position, um, it's not necessarily going to be easier. Mm. And, and it, you know, time could be argumented based on he still does have full function of his body. And so he's trying to do something at a level that he's not quite built for, mm. but it's not necessarily going to be easier. Um, because it's, it's, it's a completely different load. It, it's still an RX, like that stimulus is still met to where it still is, is challenging. And so trying to, to get people to understand that, you know, and I've, and working with some of those high level athletes or being able to work out with some of them, I've even had, you know, the case where they've, they've even made the comment like, you know, well, I think in this workout, what you did was even harder than what I had to do yeah, yeah. Um, from, from a certain, you know, conditioning standpoint or load standpoint. Um, and some workouts are, are maybe a little bit easier or whatever, but there's that balance overall, right? That what mm. we do as an RX adapted athlete is equal to what you do as a RX able body athlete. We didn't scale the workout to make it easier for us, or we didn't scale it because we weren't a level, a certain condition. It was just, we have a physical impairment. And so we're going to go under the same load you are from a different standpoint. Hmm. Um, so it's the same, but different <laughs> versus it's easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I get you. And, and so that's probably like the biggest hurdle that way that we face is like trying to get people to understand that. But the more they see it, the more they do understand it. You know, you go to, you talk to spectators or I've had several conversations with people surrounded around Wadapalooza over the years and a lot of them will tell you like the most fascinating for them to watch is the elite class and the adaptive class, because what those athletes are doing is gnarly. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and so the, the more we get on those type of stages, the more people see that and understand it because they really see face to face what we do. You know, a lot of the people that I work out with, or I have worked out with in local boxes, don't think of me as a skilled athlete because they've seen the type of load I do firsthand yeah. and they're like, Oh yeah, no, that was, that was gnarly. Like, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and so, yeah, that's, I kind of digress on that because it's definitely a passion or a hot button thing, but it's, yeah, no. it's building that, that understanding and that respect that what we do is, is just as, it's just different, but it's, so I guess but it's from, the same. from a gym's perspective <laughs> and from a competitive perspective, it's, it, it's, it's education on both sides, really. It's education about how to incorporate adaptive athletes or, you know, people with varying abilities and then how to like recognize that it's, you know, a valid sport and a valid, you know, that it's as valid or that it's as challenging if challenging in a different way. Exactly. And I think, I think what it goes back to and what I always try to argue with people is, is they both have the same base. And that, and that the, the, the pure um, passion or the pure priority of CrossFit is health, right? Mm. And, and what CrossFit does for every individual in their life 
is first and foremost, how much healthier uh, it makes them and how much more functional it makes them in day-to-day life. Mm. Um, it, it, adaptive is no different. And that's our base first, right? And that what we do creates a certain base for health and functionality in our lives. And it's just for competitors, you take that to another level, right? Mm. Um, but it's the same base. And so it has the same it has the same underlying purpose for what you're trying to accomplish. And, and so that's the first and foremost, the message that we want to spread and that we want to seek it out there because that's, what's going to benefit the overall. I like it. Um, okay. We'll finish with a quick fire. Sure. Um, so cardio or lifting cardio, uh, ski or skip, uh, ski, a deadlift or bench? Uh, whew. Uh, for, for me, deadlift. Best piece of equipment you own? Um, whew. Uh, my Terracore, uh, which is a fancy new, like, Bosu, you know what a BOSU ball is? Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a balancing dynamic piece. And the stuff that I do on that, like from a core standpoint. Oh, I've um, seen you on it. It's yeah, it's like yeah. a new, like a peanut kind of thing, like a a balance board kind of thing. Exactly. So yeah. it gives me more, especially if somebody doesn't have use of my legs, it's just a broader surface. So it gives me more safety, like balance, but mm. that balance stuff that I've incorporated on that has been huge for life. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. Um, favorite flavor of rain. Sour apple. Yeah, we don't. I think that's hard to come by here. We've got like raspberry, lemon, uh, watermelon. Oh crap! I forgot the other one. There's another blue one. <laughs> that's because they're kind of uh, releasing it in stages here. But I keep seeing like uh, ma- mango and sour apple and all these other ones yeah. stateside, and it's yeah, it's annoying having. Yeah. To it's like watching your. <laughs> Watching your brother open a really good Christmas present and then like you open yours and it's just like, oh yeah, it's good. It's just, that one just kind of looks a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the thing I like about the rain, it's not overly sweet, but the flavor palette is like, yeah, it still comes true. Yeah. Awesome. Um, mm. Yeah. That, the sour apple tastes like a, like a, a Jolly Rancher, like the sour apple oh, Jolly yeah, Ranchers okay, to yeah. me. So yeah. Um, worst workout you've ever done. Oh uh <laughs> murph sounds pretty fucking horrible to be honest the way you described it with the dips murph's murph's not too bad um yeah with the dips it was it's definitely but i think the worst workout i did is a conditioning piece uh where it was like 40 minute emom and 20 minutes of it was uh max calorie rowing uh every other minute and then in between that i had to do five pull-ups uh what was it? It was five pull-ups, five. I can't even remember now, like right off the top of my head, but I basically had 15 reps of something that I had to do and I could barely get it done and then transition back to the rower. And so it was basically just, and the rower was max calories that I was being recorded on. So every row was all out and it, it was brutal. I remember I was working with the wheelman for that one and I was, like 
you know, how far are we? I figured we were probably like 30, 30 minutes into it. And he goes, you just passed halfway. We're at minute 21. And I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, that's probably like it was. And the, the second half was just, I thought it was never going to end. So yeah. um, <laughs> who's going to win the CrossFit games this year? Who? Quick fire. Um, remember. I I'm rooting for Noah because uh, yeah. I have a relationship with him, but I think Matt still got another year or two in him. And on the female side, then, uh, Tia. Uh, if the adaptive games had gone ahead at Granite Games, who would have won that? Uh, which division? <laughs> well, we'll, say, we'll stick with your division. Uh, my division, the seeded one. I I feel like it was my year. Oh. Surely now you've got more training time, so next year we'll be here. here. Yeah, that's kind of a that there's kind of a plus, and but I'm also getting older, so um, <laughs> wiser. <laughs> You're also getting, getting wiser in workouts, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um. Listen, man. Thanks a million for doing this. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Um. Best of luck with everything. I hope your motivation speaking and your continued drive for just education, I guess. I hope it, it keeps paying dividends for you. Well done. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and uh, yeah, trying to get adaptive CrossFit out there more and, and hopefully people understand it better.